And now, part two of our show with driving coach Ross Bentley. Part one was aired as episode 46 last Tuesday, and this is episode 47, which actually happens to be our first show of 2016, so Happy New Year. We're really looking forward to 2016 and have a lot of things planned, so stay tuned. Part one of this interview actually set a new 24-hour record for us. And as a thank you, Ross is giving away a copy of his Ultimate Speed Secrets books to one of our lucky listeners. To enter, just share your favorite track photo of 2015 during the first week of 2016 on Instagram and use the hashtag SpeedSecretsSlipAngle with no spaces. Again, that's hashtag SpeedSecretsSlipAngle, no spaces on Instagram during the first week of 2016. On January 8th, we'll select a random winner and they'll get the book from Russ. So stick around at the end of the show uh, for our first Speed Secrets driving tip. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier, uh, I guess last episode, that we'd have one in every single episode here forward, so stay tuned for that. And as always, share the show with a friend, check out tracktune.com, and leave us reviews and ratings on iTunes. And now, we'll continue the show. Yeah, you know, it seems like the kind of the theme that overlies everything is, uh, you know, pretty much having an aptitude to be able to learn and adapt. Yep. Um, and then, you know, I think having the right mindset helps a lot too. You know, coming in to, you know, to driving. You know, I wrote that article this week about, you know, pretty much the only thing you really need to start driving on track is a helmet and, you know, a good a good attitude. A good open um, mind. Yeah. Great article, by the way. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so the, the only ones that I've ever had challenges were with are the driver that are, and typically it's a guy, <laughs> you know, and he has been very successful in something else. You know, I don't care. He's a lawyer. He's a surgeon. He's a business owner. He's a, you know, whatever. I mean, and, and he's really successful at that. And he comes into driving and goes, you know, I've been driving cars all my life. I should be able to pick this up like that. <laughs> and, and they get frustrated because it doesn't happen as quickly as, as you want. And, you know, I mean, I, I remember doing this one time with a, with a doctor and I kind of like, so how many years did it take for you to become a good surgeon? <laughs> did you like do surgery like eight times and expect <laughs> to have mastered it? And he's like, no, I guess not. And, and so I think, that's the only, you know, kind of going to your point of you do have to come in with the right mindset, the right attitude, the right being open-minded. Right. Um, because if you come in and go, you know what, it's just, it's just driving a car. Uh, I don't think anybody, re everybody that's listening to this kind of goes, it's more than just driving a car. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a challenging sport. Yeah. You know, when I, I showed up on Tuesday when we were getting coffee, um, I kind of compared it to, to skiing a little bit, you know, like if anyone out there is, is skied or snowboarded. Uh, when you first start, it's kind of rough, but the more you do it and the more closely you do it to the last time that you did it, uh, you start gaining those skills and they don't, they don't go away. You're, you're building that programming. Right. But right. If you only go skiing once, twice a year, you know, and then you go back the next year, you're pretty much back at, you know, maybe 50% from, from where you were at before. Whereas if you do it all the time, you know, and you take a little bit off, you know, you're going to end up close to where you were. Like my, my favorite thing is, um, 
I like to refer, I used to play guitar a lot. And uh, after Eric Clapton's son died, he didn't touch a guitar for, I think, a little over two years. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he, but the programming was there. After yep. two years, he got inspired again, picked it right back up, and, you know, so it's one of those things that I feel like if you do something enough with enough repetition and enough dedicated, um, I guess, practice, yep. uh, you, can, you can pick something right back up even after years of, of being away. I used to, years ago, I used to, I used to coach tennis. And the rule in tennis was if you played three times a week, you were maintaining your level. Hmm. You had to play four times a week to actually improve. How many drivers get to be on the track four times a week? Yeah. Maybe if you drive NASCAR. Yeah. You know, but, you know, even Formula One drivers, you know. Or if you're Colin Braun and you build a kart track in your backyard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, we talked about this is that, you know, the great thing about our sport is it's accessible. Right. I, I love the fact that, you know, if you're a Formula One fanatic, you can go and drive Coda and you can drive on the exact same track that Lewis Hamilton won the world championship on. Right. That is the coolest thing. I mean, if you're a tennis player, you can't go and play at center court at Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're a football fan, as you should be of the Seattle Seahawks, right? Um, you know, I can't go and play at Central League Field. You know, I can't do that. But I can go and drive Coda or Road Atlanta or any of these places where the world's best drivers compete at. So it's, it's and, and again, I mean, you know, it can be in a DE program, but you're doing that. So it's great that it's, that it's, it's so accessible. The bad news, obviously, is... <laughs> that it's accessible. That it's accessible and it's really <laughs> expensive compared... Well, I shouldn't... We talked about this. I mean, it has a reputation of being really expensive. Right. It doesn't need to be as as expensive as some people think it is. Right. You can get into the sport for not that much money, and but you know, I guess my point was, it, it's even though it's accessible, it's hard to go and spend four days a week doing it. Yeah. Um, I mean, just the tracks just aren't even open. Even if you have the time. Right. You know, there's just not the quantity of events that, yeah. that I mean, are there. If I'm a That's... tennis player, I can spend a couple hundred bucks on a really nice tennis racket, and I go yeah. and hit the ball at yeah. no cost. Well, that's why, you know, a lot of people kind of overlook karting a little bit. Yeah. But the accessibility Shouldn't. for seat time with karting is there. Most of the, the kart tracks, you know, the that, you know, do actual, like, local local racing, not just the concession or the indoor karts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know they're they're open most of the time, most days for people to go and practice, and I I don't think a lot of people understand that. I didn't really know that that much until I started doing some research, yeah. and so you know I've become a big proponent of karting. Unfortunately, now I don't really have the the money um, to be able to do it. What you're not uh, making a million dollars off of this? No, not yet, not I, yet. Next week. Yeah, next week. After you get me off the show, you'll <laughs> you'll make more money. Yeah. So, because right, you won't with me. So. Yeah. But it's definitely something there that, you know, if you, if somebody wants it hard enough, there's, there's avenues out there, um, or wants it not hard enough, wants it enough. Yeah. Um, there's avenues out there that, that allow them to get the seat time, you know? I actually think that, uh, the indoor carding is way underrated. Yeah. Um, people look at it as like, you know, they're rental carts and, you know, d despite them saying they're all equal, they're not. <laughs> that's okay. Um, in fact, that's even better because you have to adapt to every single one of them. Right. You know, you'll get one that feels a little stronger with the motor, but 
Boy, it doesn't turn. You know, I, I know a lot of people that don't go indoor karting because they get frustrated, you know, because yeah. the carts are that much different. But if you, like we were talking about earlier, if you go there with the intention of, okay, well, whatever they get me, I'm going to make the best out of it. Adapt, learn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's something that's that's often overlooked, just like we were talking about driving in, you know, different conditions or when the car's not quite handling right. Instead of staying out, you bring it in, just building that adaptability database yeah. like we were talking about. So, yeah. And I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's learning how to learn. Yeah. You know, you go to an indoor karting place and you drive around and you learn how to make that one go quicker. Yeah. So then you kind of go, hmm, okay, I get in this other cart. I'm going to learn how how to adapt to this one. And then, you know, you get to the track in your car and it's it's the same thing. So you've learned how to learn. Yeah. So, and, you know, the, uh, the thing I, I see a lot for a lot of track day guys um, is that they'll start doing track days, but they'll go to the same track or the same two tracks for a year or two or more than that. Some of them may only go to two or three tracks, you yeah. know, in, you know, a couple years. Uh, I, I kind of have always felt that they've been doing themselves a disservice a little bit because you have programming for those tracks. But I feel like the more you drive those tracks, the harder it is to program other tracks in. Yeah. And it, so I, you know, obviously some of it is a budget thing and right. time thing and all that kind of stuff. And, but, uh, you know, we, we talked about it, you know, that, that, um, you know, you get to a point where you kind of go, Oh, I'm driving this corner. It's a little bit like turn five at mid Ohio, you know, yeah. or, you know, so you start to kind of relate corners that way and you build this database of different types of corners. So, um, I think that's really valuable. And one, one of the good reasons for going to, to different tracks. The other thing I think it does is, is, you know, you go to a track and why do most drivers drive the line that they drive? Because somebody told them to drive that line. Yeah. And that's what they were taught to drive. And yet they haven't truly, they don't truly deep down inside understand why, the why behind it. Right. And, you know, even if you eventually you spend enough time on that track, you start to understand the why of driving that line on this track. But it's when you drive, and I don't know what the number is, but I bet it's something more than half a dozen different tracks you start to really that whole concept of why you do this really starts to sink in more. So, you know, yeah, if at all possible, get to as many different tracks as you possibly can. I, I get the, you know, in the beginning, hone your basic skills on one or two tracks. Is if you go into a new track every single time from the very first time you start driving, that's a lot to take in. Yeah. You kind of get with brain overload and you're yeah. not learning as fast. It was, but, it was, it was intimidating for me. Yeah. You know, but I, I hooked up with one of the racing organizations with NASA and decided I was going to do their HPD program and yeah. just kind of, you know, they moved around. So I moved around. So yeah. it's kind of one of those, I didn't know where else to go at the time. Yeah. You know, my only exposure had been with NASA. Um, and so I just, that's what I went with. Right. And right. luckily it actually worked out pretty well for me. So, yeah. 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 And, and again, I mean, I think that's the thing. I mean, it just, well, it makes you more adaptable, versatile driver. So, right. uh, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, you see some drivers that all they ever drive is this kind of a car. Yeah. You know, I think the more different stuff you do, I mean, you know, I can remember between IndyCar races, um, going and doing an autocross event. Um, I know that the, you know, winter between IndyCar seasons, I went and I went ice racing. Yeah. 
Um, Actually, we're planning on doing that in January, actually, yeah, up in I Wisconsin. Dress warm. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's the only reason why I don't want to go back and do it again. I just don't like being that cold. Yeah, uh, you, you're telling me the ice racing that you were doing, though, is a lot different than kind of the ice racing they have in the States. You know, wasn't it like a spec, so a spec they, class? You know, they, have, they had all the same. This was in the interior of British Columbia. But they, somebody had created this class called Vets on Ice. I think it was the greatest thing. But there was four Chevettes. Those old Chevettes, rear-wheel drive, little cars. They'd have like 40 of them out there, and it was all rubber to ice. Um, and, man, did it teach you car control. I mean, it was like spec racing class on ice, rubber to ice, no studs. Um, Were there any drivers that would use the car in front of them as a brake so you can you can breathe, or you don't have to use the brakes as soon because there's a car in front of you? Not once. <laughs> really? Never. Not once. Never. Not once. Huh. Dozens of times. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, going to say, you yeah. know, because like when I play like Forza and stuff sometimes, sometimes the cars will get all packed up in a corner, a slow corner, and I'll just kind of use them as like just a, a guardrail essentially and just go right on the, the inside. Yeah. Kind of, you can't do that in real life, but that's not what too much. You, anyway. could, you can't enforce <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, ice racing, it's a, it's certainly a, uh, it's a really cool sport. Uh, uh, there you go. Yeah, there you there go. go. Wow. <laughs> it's a good place to go and chill. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I see. <laughs> so many okay, bad so jokes. The, that's so the, many the, bad jokes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the, the, the thing about uh, uh, ice racing, though, is, I mean, you know, I absolutely stunk at it at first. I just couldn't. I mean... You know, I was trying to drive it like an IndyCar. <laughs> I was trying to be precise with the turn in. It was like, no, you need to turn in 85 feet before the corner. Yeah. Because by the time you slide for 85 feet, it'll finally <laughs> hook up and start to go. So, you know, it, it took a But it made me a better driver. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, I think not enough drivers get to skid pads or spend time on skid pads. Yeah. There's nothing better than a skid pad. Yeah, I got to drive on a skid pad for the first time a couple of weeks ago at the Porsche Experience Center oh, in Atlanta. Fantastic. And it was great. The only thing that was kind of... Interesting though was that it wasn't perfectly flat, so yep. there were pools, you know, in certain places. So the the traction was varying. Which so is you, you, once, once you got used to it, it was fine. But yeah. you know, drifting a nine eleven uh, around it, um, I had I had my fair share of troubles at first. Yeah, yeah. So and then later on in the day, I hadn't eaten lunch, so that's that's the excuse <laughs> I'm going with. If anyone from the PEC is listening, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that bad, but uh, yeah. Well, then what you don't want to do is eat lunch and then go on a skid pad. Yeah, especially ex well so as a messy. driver. As a driver, I'm usually okay. Yeah. It's um, it's as a passenger that it gets bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, so so I guess you know the point is that just drive anything. Yeah, drive anything and everything as long as it's safe. Yeah, that's my only rule. Is if you know if if it's not safe, don't drive it. Yeah, you um, know a lot of a lot of people have been you know talking about the the Jetta Sport Wagon that I have. Because uh, that video came out recently, and yeah, it's when been do on I get to thrash that? Uh, whenever you want to, we'll bring it out somewhere. <laughs> oh, sorry, it's, I drive it. I mean, uh, yeah. oh, whatever, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, Volkswagen's gonna buy it back soon anyway, since it's a diesel. So right, right. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of people are like, "Why do you like driving that thing so much?" And I think it's because it's just, I don't know, it's not, it's not challenging, but I can still have fun with it. You know, kind of like you were talking about with your, you know, your Mini Cooper that you yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I guess I'm a, you know, I'm. I don't know if I'm in, in the minority this way or not, but uh, I don't think that you need a super fast trick car to to have fun. In fact, I think, you know, I think if you've got a, you know, I know a guy that has a 
GT3 RS and, you know, drives the thing on the street and he's always frustrated. Yeah. You know, I drive my Mini Cooper S and it's like, I'm having fun all the time. And, it, you know, it's just, it's a blast to drive. Yeah. And, and you know, a Miata, uh, S2000, I mean, I love S2000, so I'm kind of jealous <laughs> of you. I used to do, I did some stuff in a, in a S2000 a few years ago that we oh, spent yeah? a lot of time in, and it was well, great fun. So. Let me ask you this, you know, the S2000 has a reputation of being difficult to drive. What's your opinion on that? Because, you know, for me, that's what I started out in, so I didn't know any different. Um, you know, what, what, what do you think? I have my theory on why people say it's difficult to drive, but uh, what's, what's yours? Well, okay, so I'll, a quick story. Um, years ago, a bunch of years ago, eight years, yeah, something like that, um, for, for a number of years, uh, BMW had myself and another fellow, Terry Earwood, who was the chief instructor at Skip Barber School for a bunch of years, and he's still doing these things. But um, they had us come in and do these. This, this basically, they'd shoot a, a, a mini TV show um, around us doing a compare comparison between a BMW and a competitor product. Okay. And this was shown internally to all their salespeople, and so it was. We were to be absolutely totally honest. If we thought the BMW sucked, we Tell them why it sucks. Man, if those videos got leaked on YouTube today, oh. that'd be pretty interesting. Yeah, I wonder if I could, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, So, you know, we would go in and they'd give us a, you know, an M3 and a, what did a, you know, Audi whatever, or, you know, yeah. um, you know, we'd end up X5 and a, and a Cayenne. So, so it, I guess it was a Z3 and an S2000. And at that, the very first time I did it, it was a Z3 versus an S2000. Okay. And, uh, so we'd do, uh, you know, straight line braking and a zero to 60 acceleration. We did a slalom and, you know, what, how fast you get through the slalom, you know, all the typical stuff. And we'd yeah. drive them on the highway and drive them around. We basically had, we would have three cars for a week and that we'd compare and, um, and we just share our opinions of them. And it was really fun to do. And, but I got get a chance to drive a lot of different cars. So anyways, I remember the, when I got the S2000, I went, Oh, this car is fun. Yeah. This thing is an absolute blast. But I can remember at one point coming through this turn on this autocross course that we had, mini road course that we had set up at the BMW Performance Center. I can remember coming through this corner and the things crossed up and I got like about 87 degrees of, of uh, steering input opposite lock into the thing, dialed in trying to control this thing. My foot to the floor, this thing revving out to whatever the 10 grand or something like yeah, that. Nine, yeah. And, um, and I'm just going, you could get a little behind in your steering in this car. Yeah. And I think, you know, driven quickly, very quickly, I mean, the car could get a little sideways. Yeah. So you had to be on top of that. And you, you could be very, very busy in the, in the car. Um, so, you know, it was less forgiving than the Z3. Yeah. I mean, you know, I can't remember exactly, but I, I, I sort of, I think I remember coming away from that day going, I think actually the Z3 I might have even turned a quicker lap time with. Oh really? And being you know a little bit more torquey, yeah. off the corners a little better, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I remember, I can remember kind of going, if I want to have fun, I'm picking the S2000. <laughs> if I want a daily driver that's more comfortable driving down the highway, I yeah. take the Z3. Or Z, the Z3 M Coupe. Yes. That's, that's oh, a the clown shoe. That's those things, and those things have gone up ridiculously in value those, lately. In fact, for a long time, that car had the record for the speed through the slalom that we did. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, it was it was really impressive, but. Let me tell you the quick story going back to yeah. your cruise control thing. Um, uh, I remember taking a 7 Series, the big 7 Series BMW, 
and uh, and let's say that the the, the uh, Z3 M coupe, you know, we'd get through the slalom at I don't know 45 miles an hour or something like that. Um, I got back with the with the seven series and I set the cruise control at 42, and then just drove through it <laughs> and turned the steering wheel and drove through. And I'm like, okay, let's drive at 43 now. 40. It got through at 45 miles an hour. Really. The same as that M Coupe did. <laughs> on cruise control? On cruise control. And what was really interesting was I'd turn in and the whole stability control would kind of go brrr. And then I'd get the wheel straight between the cones and you think brrr, and accelerate off in between the cones. And you hear this thing just like And I was like, I don't think I could have done that. It's yeah, modulating was, the throttle. Well, and... blown, blown away by the... By that technology at that point. So anyways, yeah. it was it was kind of funny to see. So, yeah. yeah. What's really interesting about like that, that cruise control exercise, um, you know, I try and kind of tell students, uh, maybe not go out and put the car in cruise control, but every input that you have, steering, brake, accelerator, you only have so much tire, you know, there's weight transfer, stuff like that. The cruise control is nice because at that point, you're just worried the car, all the tires have to do is worry about steering. Yeah. They're not accelerating. They're not braking. You know, it just, the car, the chassis is a lot happier. You know, I try and, when I have students, I tell them, try and keep the chassis happy. happy. The car is going to do what it wants to do. Um, if you can keep it happier, it's not going to do as much stuff that you don't want it to do. Um, so it's, it's it's really, really kind of interesting. Just that, I don't know, it's almost working in, in tandem with, with the car a little bit. And like you were talking on one of the tips was kind of dance. Dance with the car. Ah, car dancing, nothing better. And, yeah. and what's funny is when you practice being aware, you can tell when your car is smiling, Yeah. when it's happy. Yep. And you can tell when it's not. It's got a big frown on its face. Oh, poor little car. Yeah. You know? I mean, so yeah, and, and I think that's the thing is just, you know, if you really pay attention to it, yeah. if you're kind of aware of what, what it feels like, the car is talking to you. Yeah. yeah. Now, along the lines of, you know, driver development, um, what do you do to get drivers to start analyzing while they're out on track? You know, like for me, I noticed I started picking up a lot, of t a lot of time when throughout the session, you know, I'd be going and and would be like, okay, well, I could break there. Next time, I need to break here, or next time, I need to break a little less, or you know, maybe I blew the corner a little bit. Maybe I should break a little sooner or a little harder. Um, but just just analyzing as you're going around the track, I've noticed is what. When I started doing that, that's when I started really adapting a lot more. It, it's all kind of like a, I guess it all kind of ties together. But um, what do you do to, to get drivers to kind of start doing that, I guess? So um, partially, that, <laughs> part of the, the answer depends on does the driver need to do that? Yeah. Because I, I, I work with drivers who are too analytical. Yeah. And those are the ones I say, drive stupid. <laughs> yeah. You know, turn your brain off and <laughs> just, just go just and drive. Just go drive. Yeah. You know, so there is a point in time where you need to do that. Yeah. Um, I also know some drivers who, they don't have a clue what they're doing. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad, in an insulting kind of way, yeah. but it's just, they're not paying enough attention. And, you know, when I was doing this uh, race at Hallett in this um, E36, you know, every lap I come out of, I you know, certain corners, I come out of the corners and at the end of the curbing, I'd kind of have a glance down and look at the tack and go, you know, 5,300 RPM right there. So then it's like each lap, it's like, can I get a 5,400 RPM? Can I get a 5,500 RPM? And, you know, so looking at that and then, you know, so trying to pick out points, uh, you know, I know people are kind of like, well, can you look at your minimum speed in the middle of the corner? Not when you're driving. You know, you kind of need to be picking those things, but reference points of just, to me, that's the simplest thing to be doing is just at least picking a few points at exits of corners or 
you know, certain points down a straightaway where you go, there's a good mark in the pavement or the start finish line or whatever, and just checking your RPM every single lap at that point. Mm -hmm. And not that that's always the answer because there are times where, yeah, sure. You could be faster here, but you are so slow back there that it didn't, your overall lap was slower, Yeah, but it's one of the factors, right? (laughs) And most times as a guideline, if you're faster at this point in the straightaway, most times that's a benefit. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's the simple thing. Um, you know, uh, a technique or a strategy that I use in coaching a lot is I, I have drivers do what I call either traction sensing sessions, hmm. where it's like, just go into a session and focus on how much traction the tires have. So, and it's kind of like at the end of the session, have you sit down with a track map and break the corner up into three components, entry, middle, exit. And in each point of that, go on a scale of one to 10. So 10 is the tires are right at their limit. One is, you know, your grandmother could be driving faster. Than <laughs> um, there's no, it depends, on, it depends on who your grandmother is. Yeah, though, right? that, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there are some, there might be some grandmothers out there. that used to race. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, seven, eight, <laughs> you know, what was it last year that Denise McCluggage, the, I mean, she was like, the, was she the one that did the Silver State? Um, I think she did that. She did. Okay. She raced. In the yeah, there was some grandmother and... that was in a Corvette or something and did the uh, yeah, Silver no. State Classic or anyway, something. She was like, like open a road racing. race driver back in the 50s, 60s okay. and wrote for Auto Week for years and just one of the great classic, classy people in the, in the sport. But um, anyways, uh, so... My apologies to all the grandmothers listening. <laughs> How many grandmothers do we have on this show? Uh, probably not a whole lot, to okay, be honest. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, um, uh, so you sit down with a track map and you go, on a scale of 10, and what's interesting when you do that is you go, you know, corner entry, tires might only be at a 7. Middle of the corner, the car's moving around a little bit more, an 8. The exit of the corner, man, I'm at a 9, 9.5, almost a 10. I feel the thing... You know, it's kind of dancing on that edge coming out of there. And you start to realize, and then you, you know, then the next corner might be, whoa, coming to that corner. Man, I'm on the ragged edge when I'm entering the corner. I'm at a nine. But I'm actually not getting out of the corner very well. I don't feel like I'm using all the tires traction there. I might only be at a seven there. Mm -hmm. So you write those things down, and it's pretty interesting what our mind does. Even just the fact of writing them down, next time you go on track, I'll bet you you will improve. Yeah. Just um, reinforces it a little bit. It kind of it helps you. It builds your awareness. Yeah. It, it you know you can drive around the track not knowing that you're not using all the tires traction, but the second you kind of go and you start to ask yourself that, um, so, um, you know that's a that's a strategy that I use a lot with drivers is is having them write that down and then the next session they go back on track and you know and maybe what you do is you kind of go based on this and you know I think that corner is really important. I got to work on taking that seven and make it closer to a nine or whatever it is that you want to drive at. Um, so then you just become aware of, you simply become aware of how close are the tires to the limit. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, so the, the third part of this answer, I guess, is really asking yourself questions. You know, if I ask you a question, what does it make you do? Think. Think. Yeah. You know, and it actually makes you aware too. I mean, right now, if I kind of went, what's the temperature like in this room? All of a sudden you go, I'm aware of the temperature in this yeah. room. And, you know, so if you're on the track and you just go, can I carry more entry speed there? Can I get back to throttle sooner? Can I brake later here? What would I, how would it feel if I brake later here? Yeah. 
Um, so if you start asking yourself more questions, uh, I'm a great believer in asking questions and asking questions of yourself. Um, and then, as I say all the time, is you know who the greatest philosopher of all time is? <laughs> you? Yourself? No, no, no definitely not. Definitely <laughs> well, not, not you. Sorry. Oh, uh, no. Like the other you, like if you're answering the question no, yourself. No, no. The greatest philosopher of all time. I don't know. Not soccer, not everything. No, no, no. Who is it? Shrek. Yeah? If you watch the movie Shrek, <laughs> he goes, ogres are like onions. They have layers. <laughs> and answers are like onions They're, or like ogres. They have layers. Huh. And so you go, can I break later for term one? Yeah. So that's one layer of the onion. You peel it back and then you go, hmm. If you where would I brake later? Okay. Would that mean that I would apply the brakes harder or would I just be carrying more entry speed? Peel another layer back of the onion. What's that going to do to my entry speed? And what does that mean that I'm going to need to do on the brake release? Peel back. So you keep peeling the layers of the onion. Yeah. And, and so I'm a, you know, every time I'm, I'm coaching, I'm thinking of I got to be like Shrek. Yeah. Keep asking, peeling layers. I guess it it kind of goes back to another driving tip is like, you know, being able to drive subconsciously a little bit so that you have the time and the mental capacity to be able to be analyzing stuff. Right. You know, because when you first start out, all you have the (laughs) mental capacity for is driving. Is staying on the track. Yeah. You know, you're in the car with an instructor and like the instructor is there helping you a little bit. And sometimes you don't listen just because you don't have the mental capacity even just to listen. Yeah. So, but as you do it more, you know, you get more experience and you get more comfortable and, um, you know, it's one of those things that it's just, it's an ever, you're always adding to that database. Yeah. You know, always. So I'm sure, you know, the top level drivers that have been driving since they were little kids still are always adding to that database. Yeah. And, you know, I think we can all relate to that in some way. I mean, you know, you remember the very first time you drove on the street. It was yeah. like, oh, man, there's so much going on. And then eventually it's like you're pretty aware of things. You yeah. know, uh, the, the, when I went to try to qualify to, for the Indy 500, you know, you go through rookie or orientation there. And the very first thing you do is they have an experienced driver drive you around in one of the pace cars. I had Rick Mears, four-time Indy 500 <laughs> champion, drive me around in. So, and Rick Mears is one of the. I believe he's one of the greatest Indy car drivers of all time. P- perhaps the classiest, greatest guy. You know, just p- driver. I mean, the guy is just. I don't think he's ever said a bad thing about anybody in his life. Huh. He's just a really cool guy. Anyways, uh, but I remember you know going out even in a pace car, the first time you get the turn one at Indy, and you know in a. I don't know what it was, a Camaro or something like that, or Corvette or something. You know, we're coming into turn one and, you know, you're hauling ass down there. You know, you're doing a hundred and something miles an hour coming into turn one and you just turn in flat. And Indy's a big, massive place. You were just there recently. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I was there on Monday, actually. So you know, four, four days ago. It's massive, isn't it? Yeah. And you look at that and you go, wow. But when you're coming down that straightaway, it probably seems so short. And there's a wall back over there. It, it seems. Anyway, so you're driving around. I'm, you know, I'm driving around with him, and and we're driving down the back straight. And he goes, so middle of back straight. Look up at the windsock at the top of the tor- scoring tower at the top of turn three. And if the windsock is blowing in that direction, the car is going to understeer in turn three. If it's if the windsock is blowing in this direction, the car is going to oversteer. 
And when you come down the front straight, you look at the windsock on the top of the scoring tower at the start-finish line, and that's going to tell you how the car is going to handle in turn one. Huh. I remember getting out there, and the first time I'm doing, you know, 225 or something down the back straight and going, windsock? I don't have time for that. So, <laughs> yeah. so you know, but, you know, you know, after a few days of practice there, you're going, there's the windsock, and yeah. the car is going to push going into turn one. Yeah. You know, along the lines of, you know, being able to adapt as a driver and things, I know that you've dealt with drivers that race in a bunch of different uh, like disciplines, you know, um, you know, from from flat track motorcycle racers all the way yeah. to, uh, you know, people that race. I'm sure. Have you done any off road off road racing um, uh, instructing at all or, or people that have done off road racing in addition to some of the other stuff that they do? A little bit, a little okay. bit with the off road, but um, more with uh, some rally. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. I know you were you were involved with Dirtfish here. Yeah. Um, for a little while. Um, and um, is there is there ACP, one Andre Andre? Okay. Um, Andrew Comrie Picard, I mean, I coached him a little bit when he was doing some rally stuff in the last couple of years. I've been sort of helping him a little bit. Um, Joe Kopp, uh, AMA flat track guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I actually, you know, I've done a little bit of work with Drag Racer. I went out with uh, oh, really? um, Clay Milliken when he came to race here at Seattle. I spent a weekend with him one time because he'd read my books and stuff like this. And, yeah. You know, sit down with a guy like that and tell you what he does in a in four seconds it's mind-boggling <laughs> yeah it, it's imagine. like you talk about brain overload on a road course we're a bunch of weenies compared to those guys yeah i mean they process what we what we process in a minute lap they process in four seconds yeah um uh, i work with a um a top fuel motorcycle racer okay and a guy that you know does the quarter i think they were doing quarter mile in uh, uh i think it was it's in that five-second range, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Um, 220, 230 miles an hour, something like that is what they're doing. And uh, um, I just, uh, the, the work, working with him the one weekend in Dallas, and, um, you know, they go through all their rounds, which one of the things I don't like about drag racing is two, two at a time, and, you know, somebody gets uh, you know, or four should, at a time, certain places. Well, I'm saying they should line them all up at one time and just yeah. get one race. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> they should do that at Bonneville, actually. Just yeah. line everybody up. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that doesn't sound dangerous at all. Not at all, no. <laughs> um, anyways, um, he makes it to the final, and I'm pretty pumped about that. And um, you know, I'd stood on the start line and watched him take off a bunch of times and everything. But uh, um, uh, this time I went down to the, the end, and I'm like, yeah, he won. Fantastic. Wait a minute. He didn't win. What's up with that? They didn't give him the win. I saw that his bike was in the lead. Huh. Well, what it was is his front wheel was in the air, so oh, his so rear tire triggered the beam, and the other bike's front tire was on the ground, and it triggered the beam. Huh. So even though his front tire was you know half a bike length ahead of the other bike, it was his rear tire that triggered the beam, mm-hmm. so he didn't get the win. Really? So I'm kind of like, well, that's a bummer, but wait a minute. You're at 230 miles an hour on one wheel. <laughs> he'd ridden the whole thing i mean the whole the time his front wheels in the air the whole yeah. time i'm going man that takes balls yeah 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 those guys you know we think like road course guys that's our main audience that that we're oh. kind of crazy no that's just and you know we we're talking about like desert racing and stuff before yeah. the budget that it takes makes you know makes road racing look oh. just you know pitiful almost yeah it, so it's, it's it's just really funny there's a bunch of different different levels of motorsport and stuff like that but and everyone costs a, a different amount of money but that's what i love about it so much there's kind of a, a place for everybody that wants to be involved 
Um, and then, you know, our whole our track tune thing by drivers for drivers. Yeah. You know, that's why I find, I find your stories so fascinating because you work with all sorts of drivers. It's not just, um, you know, just road race guys, you know, while that's our main focus, we still want to bring, I guess, awareness yeah. to people that there's other things out there. And, and please don't be a snob, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I hear a lot of road race guys go in NASCAR. They just drive around in circles. I'll tell you what. The, you go do it. <laughs> I have, I've, I've spent a lot of time. I've spent time in cars with top NASCAR drivers. Yeah. Their car control skills make most road racers look like little babies. Yeah. I mean, they're incredible. Their car. You drive one of those things that's moving around on the banking at 200 miles an hour. Yeah. And with somebody three inches to your left and three inches to your right. And, you know, <laughs> and, you know um, a few years ago there, a couple of years ago, I was, um, uh, I went to Goodwood and uh, um, in road with Marco Martin, who was a world rally champion in early 2000s, I think. Okay. Rode on a stage with him, <laughs> you know, flying down between trees at some stupid speed, thinking I'm going to die in the right seat. <laughs> I've ridden with Ken Block through the forest. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you look at everything that every one of those guys do, and I just have massive respect. And I can go and watch an autocross event mm -hmm. and have the same level of respect as I do for Jimmy Johnson in a, in a stock car. Yeah. Or, you know, what Ken Block does is <laughs> the stupid stuff that he does, you know, stupid in a good way. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you I mean, know I'll, I'll be honest. When I first started driving, it was like road course or nothing. Like, you yeah. know, I, I did a little bit of autocross, but I started road racing and I was like, autocross, who needs that? And then I was like, NASCAR, that's not interesting. But the more you actually get into it, just like, uh, just like as you, you get to a certain level and you are kind of snobbish, but it's, it's like a reverse snobbish. You're so snobbish that you're, you like everything, just yeah. like the cars. You know, when you get to a certain level, you just enjoy driving anything. Yeah. So it's kind of reverse snobbery <laughs> as snobbery. I don't know. But. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, uh, uh, you know, I guess it's, it's, there's something for everybody. And that's yeah. the cool thing about our sport. Yeah. You know, and the bottom line, it's just driving. Yep. You know, it doesn't matter. Well, whether it has two or four wheels, it's just driving. And whether you're on pavement or dirt or whatever, yeah. or half half the time in the air, um, you know, it's just having fun driving a car. And, yeah. I'm going to start saying whenever anyone starts taking something too serious, they'll be like, Ross Bentley says, just drive, stupid. Just drive, stupid. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because that's all it is. I mean, you know, the sad news is we're not curing cancer here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've had that conversation with drivers mm -hmm. who are so caught up in the you know, I got to do this, got to do, this. you know, and you know, I got to this next run in the autocross event. I got to do this. I'm like, you don't gotta, you know, you're not curing cancer. Nobody's going to die. Yeah. You know, um, it's funny. And, and like you were talking about before, the more relaxed you can be sometimes, the, yeah. the better you do. Now, I remember I, I was an auto, at an autocross in, in Chicago, um, you know, cause that's what, you know, in between the road race weekends and everything, that's what I'd go do just cause it was right around the corner. Yeah. And I was co-driving my car with my buddy, Mike Pico. Um, and, and he was ahead of me at the time. And, you know, I, it was my last run. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I got to beat him. That's just, I got to beat him. And, you know, partway through the run, I, I screwed up a little bit. And I was like, man, this isn't going to work out very well. Like, I'm just done. But I kept driving. Um, and as I went by Mike when he was 
working the corner station, I gave him the little old, your number one salute. And, <laughs> you know, I go through and my time, you know, and I actually ended up beating him by like three tenths of a second. And I think because that second half of the run, I was like, well, you know, I screwed up earlier. I'm definitely not going to win, you know, but I'm going to go ahead and finish out and have a little bit of fun. And it ended up, I think I relaxed just enough yeah. for that second half of the run that, you know, was able to pull it off. You, you know, I, so I do these inner speed secrets training programs and, you know, I'll often start by asking, you know, how many times, how many of you have been in the zone? You know, that absolute magic time where things just, it's just happening. You know, you're in the moment, you're, you know, it's flowing. It's not, you don't happen to try hard. It's kind of just happening. Um, you're feeling confident, but you're really focused now. You know, I mean, you're absolutely in the zone. And, you know, most people have been, have had that experience in something. It might yeah. be driving. It might be playing golf, it might be in business, I don't care what it is, but, um, so they, they know that experience, and, um, the, the, the bad news is you can't try to get there, <laughs> you know, you just need to let it happen. It just happen. happens, yep. Yeah, and, and, and that's the, um, you know, the whole thing is, how do you get there more often? Yeah. And, you know, I sometimes joke around the, just, well, you've been there before, what got you there before? <laughs> Um, and, um, often though, when I'll ask, you know, okay, you, you know, give me an example. And I can't tell you the number of times where I've had drivers that say, you know, Hey, I qualified in a pole, but something happened, you know, mechanical problem or something. And I had to start at the back of the pack. Mm -hmm. I drove absolutely fantastic. <laughs> it was the best drive of my life. I made it all the way through to fifth or to second or maybe one or maybe 10th. I mean, but I drove, it was the best I've ever driven in my life. And, and if you think about it, you go, if you start in the pole, is there some pressure? Yeah. Yeah. Are there some expectations? Yeah. You know, you're on the pole. It's expected that you're going to win. I yeah. Mean, it, but if you're at the back of the pack, all those expectations go away. The pressure goes away. But at the same time, the confidence that I'm fast is still there because you qualified in the pole. Yeah, you know you can do it. And then you start yeah. passing some people and there's that, well, oh, I passed him, I passed him, I passed You know, it's like playing fours and you're like, well, oh, I'm passing people left, yeah. right, and center here. I mean, this is, the, this is the hoot. So it builds your confidence, you're having fun, and you just drive. And so it, then it's a matter of, well, how do you trigger that so, so you don't have to start the back of the pack every time to get into the zone? And, and that's obviously what I work with a lot of drivers on. But, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's when you relax, you stop trying. Um, that we, and we focus on the fun part of it and the act of driving itself. Yeah. And you just, you know, to me, I, you know, I've mentioned this before, but you know, my kind of, my trigger is car dancing. Yeah. It's like when I'm dancing with a car, it's just like I'm on the edge of cars. It's why I love driving in the rain. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's the cars <laughs> on that edge so much. It's just, oh, nothing it's, better. I love one of my favorite things, uh, this year that I've done was driving my Jetta sport wagon at Gingerman in the rain at grid life with uh, four students in the car with me. Excellent. And it was great. You just, you throw it into a corner and you just let it slide. Uh, yeah. You throw it in, let it slide and just power out. And yeah. it was just, it was amazingly fun. And again, going back to what you said earlier about that, you know, if you had a, well, you wouldn't have had four people in a, in a Ferrari or something like that. But you know, if you had it in a, you know, super high end sports car, you wouldn't be tossing that car into the corner the same way. And, the the grip level would be so high 
that it would be hard to do that same kind of thing. It'd be terrifying. And then the financial repercussions, if yeah. you wrecked it, were so high that... <laughs> so buy a car that you can afford to toss it into the corner and yeah. have fun with. Which may be a Miata. You know, somebody, somebody online asked if the... If Miata was always the answer, they yes. wanted me to ask you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless you're a Honda guy and then it's an S2000. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Or now you can put a Honda motor in a Miata. I heard so, a rumor of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's that too. But. Yeah. No, I, you know, I think in, you know, hey, I'm a big fan of of also like a like an E30 BMW. Yeah. Or E36 or something like, like an older BMW like that. Yeah. They're relatively cheap, you know, rear-wheel drive car, great balance, uh, you know, momentum cars. Uh, Just something to get you on track without, you know, a high entry entry fee exactly. for the vehicle, the low consumable cost so you can track more. And, and you don't have to have the stickiest tire on yeah. there. And in fact, depending on where you're driving, you're not allowed to rule-wise. And everything. Yeah. So it teaches you how to drive. Um, oh, that's you know, another I, question too. You know, as far as tires go, you've been around stuff for a long time and you've seen street tires, I'm sure, progress and just tires in general progress. Yeah, from um, the wooden wheels that I yeah, started racing. Yeah, yeah, the wooden wheels with the metal bands around yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, what's, your, what's your take right now with, with street tires and, you know, the performance levels versus our comps, you know, and, and when is the, I don't want to say when the right time is for a, a student to go to our comps. You know, a lot of people think that you have to have our comps right away to go to the track, but, uh, when, when do you kind of know, is it, is it getting everything out of what you perceive as everything out of the street tire or, you know, as far as, you know, we talk a lot about, about driving, but when, when do you think the right time is, you know, to, to move up in equipment, um, or tires or, or stuff like that? Probably six months to a year after you think it's time. Okay. <laughs> so just when you think that uh, I've got these tires mastered, spend a little bit more time on them. Yeah. Don't be in a big rush. Yeah. Uh, so I just think there's more value in learning to drive in a tire that doesn't have that super high grip level. Right. And, um, you know, you'll actually learn less by having that super grippy tire. So spend more time on the tire that allows you to move around and, feel the car dancing yeah and you know at the same time i think there does come a point in time depending on your reason for drive for drive for doing what you're doing i mean i know some drivers who are happy spending the rest of their life on those kinds of street tires like mm -hmm. that because that's what they get their enjoyment out of i know some drivers that get their enjoyment out of as we talked earlier about for a different reason and it is all about the you know I want to get another two tenths and I want to shave that off. And I, you know, and it's about the, I want to feel the G forces. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, go to a, a stickier tire at that point, but what? only do it after you've gotten the most out of <laughs> the previous level of tire. Yeah. You know what, what I always like to recommend, I, unless you're really competing, I feel like, you know, you should just keep driving on street tires until you get to that certain point. But a lot of people don't think about it. If you, if you're fast on street tires, it looks amazing. You know, you're like, Oh no, that guy's super fast and he's only on street tires. Like, and I'm on our comps and he's passing me. Yeah. But then if you're slow and you're on street tires, you can be like, Oh, but I'm on street tires. You know, it's, so it's like a win-win either way. Yeah, if yeah. you're fast or if you're slow, you know, you kind of have something to fall back on. Well, and it takes some of the pressure away. Yeah. I mean, if you put, our compound tires on a, on a tire on a car you're expected to be fast yeah and if you're not then you try harder yeah and when you try harder you, you usually don't yeah drive well yeah and you know so it, it's it's a you know you're you're more likely to get in the zone and 
I tell you what, driving in the zone in a slow car is way more fun than not driving in the zone in a fast car. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of different things, and it all just kind of ties together. Yeah. So it's uh, once you really start getting into it, you start understanding that. And I think it, it just people just need to be more aware of it. Yeah, and uh, you know, probably the most given advice that I ever I have ever hand out is there's always more. Yeah, I don't care who you are, where you're at with your driving. Um, there's always more to learn, mm -hmm. and um, at the same time, you know, if you have any instructors listening to the show, uh, uh, one of the things that frustrates me I, that that I really hate to see is an instructor that goes. OSB. Do you know what OSB stands for? Mm -mm. Other sport beckons. <laughs> so it's the inside thing that some instructors will write on their little notepad about my student over here, OSB. Yeah. Meaning you should probably look for a different hobby. Should go and take up golf because driving a car is not it. I hate that. I, that's a terrible attitude. I, I think it's just plain wrong because I don't care how bad that driver is, he can improve. He yeah. or she can improve. Yeah. They can always, everybody can improve. There's always more. And for most people, the most fun part is improving. Yeah. It's the, it's that improvement. If they're constantly seeing improvement, we talked a little bit the other day around games. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that makes games, whether it's World of Warcraft or Halo or Forza or whatever, it's these different levels. And so you're constantly getting this feedback of oh, a little better, a little better, a little better, a little better. And, and um, that's what people get a kick out of. And, and so to say to somebody, just I'm going to give up on this person because <laughs> they should go and take up golf. Yeah. That's wrong. Um, what it should be is we're going to make an improvement. Yeah. And I don't care if it's the, you know what? You pulled out a pit lane better this time than you <laughs> did the last time. Well done. <laughs> You know, I think there's a, a disconnect there that a lot, a lot of people really don't talk about with instructors. You know, there's some good instructors, there's some bad instructors, but my thing, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of students that kind of look at, you know, instructors as kind of, um, you know, it's kind of like a liaison into the sport. And so I don't think instructors realize that how they conduct themselves and how they, how they talk to students, you know, when they're in the car can really affect the future of the sport for, for that particular student. I mean, I've heard you talk about, I mean, you've had a couple of great instructors yeah. in your life. And, and I think most people can look back at school. Most will look back and go, I mean, for me, Miss White in, in grade five. Yeah. Changed my life. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of, um, we have those people in our lives and not cool to be that person. Yeah. To be that person. It, so it's not just the teaching part. But it's the inspiration part. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, if if as an instructor, even if you don't teach anybody anything, but you inspire them to want to get better, you've hit a home run. Yeah, um, and and just like uh, you know, we were talking about everybody has a reason for for driving. There's a lot of different reasons that people instruct. Yeah, and some of those reasons aren't aren't the best. Yeah, um, if you will. That's that's all I'll, I'll I want say cheap, about that. I want cheap track time. Yeah, it's not the best motivation. No, some people go into it going, I just want the cheap track time. Yeah, and then find out that they really they like it. They fall in love with it. it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it is something special when you can, when you can see that light bulb go on. Oh, that's that's super rewarding. And you see that smile, and there's that. Oh, I didn't think I could do that. Yeah, I mean, that is just such a cool, cool feeling. Yeah. The the challenge with a lot of the instructors in our sport is, you know, they instruct 
half a dozen times a year. I mean, I go around and I do talks for car clubs, mm-hmm. seminars, presentations, things like that, day-long things, half-day things. Um, and a question they'll ask when I'm doing an instructor training program is like, how many of you instruct more than three times a year? Bunch of hands. How many of you instruct more than six times a year? Half those hands go down. How many of you instruct more than 10 times a year? There might be half a dozen people. Hmm. Some of them might instruct 20, 30 times a year. Let me ask, what is it that you do in your life six times a year that you actually get better at? Yeah. I mean, we <laughs> talked earlier about, you know, I said to play, to improve your tennis game, you got to, yeah. you got to play or four like, times a week. Yeah. Or like skiing and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, so it, it, it's, it's unfortunate that a lot of times, I mean, we get an instructor and we put an instructor in a car with somebody and we expect a lot of them with not a lot of preparation and training and the yeah. tools to do a better job. It's, you know, I put out a, a free ebook um, that I, I give away for instructors. I call it the break, 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 <laughs> the instructor high performance driving. Yeah. Which uh, is exactly what I had with Honda Pro Jason yeah. recently. Break, break harder, break harder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I did that because I wanted to help some instructors become better instructors. And right. I think, like you said, a lot of them get into it for different reasons. Some of them get in it for the wrong reason of just, I want cheap track time and um but they fall in love with it a lot of them don't fall in love with it because they feel unprepared yeah they don't know what they're doing yeah and if we can help them become better prepared and and get as much get better as much as possible with the limited amount of time they're going to do it yeah um and that's you know that's kind of one of my other passions in life other than helping drivers improve it's helping instructors improve so yeah and you know, I I know that you've done some some other coaching and stuff too. But it's amazing listening. You know, when we were recording some of the tips, um, there's a lot of tips. You know, if you take driving on the track as a metaphor for yeah. life, almost there's a lot that can be applied to life. Yeah. And I think that's why you know there's just like in any sport, anybody that kind of has um, some success at a, a certain sport usually succeed in other parts of their life as well because. You know, I think it's just an overall theme for their life. Yeah. So it's it's just everything just kind of comes full circle. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. And I think it's what you're doing, isn't it? Yeah. I'm just going I'm, for it. I'm, yeah. I'm just <laughs> instead of just drive, you know, just drive stupid, just do something. Do something stupid. Yeah. So well, we can remove the stupid part. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so but anyways, we really, really appreciate your time, you know, and I hope that we can have some more conversations like this in the future. Yeah. Absolutely. This is fun. I mean. Yeah. So things I love to do in my life, I love driving cars. Yeah. I love helping drivers improve. And I love talking to other people in the sport who are as passionate as I am about it. And uh, so it's been a hoot talking with you. So. Yeah. So where can people find out more about Speed Secrets? You know, we've got a lot of, a lot of content that uh, we've, you know, recorded while I've been here. And that's going to be coming out. But, you know, if someone wants to go straight to the source, uh, where, where can they find out more? Uh, the, the simple thing is, is speedsecrets.com. Um, you know, I have a Facebook page, facebook.com, what is it, slash driver coach. Okay. Um, um, and I put a ton of stuff on there. Um, I've at Speed Secrets Twitter account. Um, you have but, a newsletter too, right? Yeah. So I have a weekly e-newsletter that I send out every Tuesday morning. And I write stuff in it, but I have a guest contributor every week. Right. I'm going to twist your arm and get you to do oh. an article. <laughs> Come on, say yes. Okay, I can do more. See, it's recorded. Great. Okay. okay. Oh. Got him on. It was a trap. Yeah, It's a trap. Um, uh, so I do that. Um, I put a 
ton of free stuff out on YouTube. Um, I put driving tips up on my website. Um, I've recently created some e-courses. Um, I'm really excited about them yeah. uh, because it, it's a form of learning that we really haven't embraced yet in this sport. Right. And, you know, people show up at the track and they sit in a classroom session and their mind is on the track <laughs> and the instructor's talking to them. They're not learning anything. Yeah. You know, but if they can learn prior to getting to the track and I, you know, hey, I've written books. I would be great if everybody read the book, but some people don't learn by reading a book. Yeah. So the e-course is another way to reach them. Um, my my Inner Speed Secrets e-course is coming out. I'm launching it on January 5th. Um, and it's, uh, um, you know, that program is something that I've, I love because it I, I, it's, the mental game is, is so important, a part of this sport. Um, and yet the tools have rarely been out there. I presented them live, but there's a limit to how many I can get to. Right. The e-course is just, it makes it accessible. Yeah. So I'm really excited by that. So, but anyways, go to speedseekers.com. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, uh, or can, go down to your local Barnes and Noble. There you go. Yeah. Most of the, most of the time in the transportation section, there's, yeah. there's at least one of your books. Yeah. So. Okay. Good. Yeah. Cause nobody ever buys them. Still, they just sit them there on the shelf. So yeah. 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 So, well, thank you so much, Ross. Thank you, Austin. This has been a panic. So thank We're, you. Look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks. Thanks. And now, our first Speed Secrets driving tip. We aren't really sure when we'll have these in the episode. They'll be in every episode, but we'll probably hide them in different places. Uh, at least at the beginning, that's my thoughts. So, anyways, here's driving tip number one. Rarely do drivers turn their fastest laps when they're trying really hard, when they're trying to get that fastest lap. And rarely do they turn their fastest lap when they're focused on the lap time. In fact, when you set, uh, let's, let's call it an, an, an expectation of, a, of you turning a lap time, let's say it's a minute and 30 seconds, rarely will you ever exceed that lap time. In fact, your brain has this amazing power that if you plunk in a minute and 30 in your brain, it's like your brain says, that's the lap time we got to turn. And it will do everything it possibly can to turn that lap time. And I've seen actual examples of drivers who have made mistakes that actually slowed them down to a minute and 30. And you know they would have been on a pace looking at data afterwards, they would have been on a pace to turn a 129.5. But it's like their brain says, no, we gotta slow down half a second here. So it makes a small mistake and it gets them so they turn a minute and 30. Rarely do we ever exceed our expectations. So I want you to be careful about putting a lap time, a number, an expectation of a certain lap time in your mind prior to. What you really want to do is you want to focus on the potential. You want to think about when I get in the car, I'm able to drive right at the limit and I'm able to do this. And I'm So you focus on the act of driving. You focus on the, the potential. And if you did that, you could turn a minute 30, you might turn a minute 29, you might turn a minute 28. I'm not saying you're going to be unrealistic with it. But focus on the potential, the, the possibilities of what you're capable of doing, especially if you perform at your very best. If you put that in your mind prior to going on the track, you're more likely to even exceed your expectations. That's not bad. So think about that this week. And if you have any feedback, email austin at tracktune.com. For more info on Ross and Speed Secrets, you can visit speedsecrets.com. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new driving tip and a new show. So, hope you guys have a great weekend. Happy 2016.